if you were here last week, Braden Osborne preached. I think he did a fantastic job going through like the whole book of Ecclesiastes. It was very humbling. And if you were here last week, don't um, compare me to that because I did not do the entire book of Matthew or something like that for today. Um, but in the, that sermon he talked about in, the, in Ecclesiastes, it's written by a guy named Solomon. And in it, he kind of thinks he's figured out the meaning of life, and, or at least he's going to try to figure out the meaning of life. And he goes through all these different things to try to find the meaning of life, and he's going to search for meaning of life under wisdom and realizes that's not that great, and pleasure, and it's fun for a season, and wealth. And he goes through all these different things, and he gets to the conclusion that all of it's meaningless, and that really life apart from God is meaningless. And I think it was this great um, start to 2020, just kind of a reminder for us to think through, like, what is it that we are in, uh, running after? What are th the things that we're pursuing in hopes that as the year begins, we're really pursuing the Lord and relationship with Him rather than wisdom and pleasure and wealth and hard work and all of it's meaningless. And really, I think what's crazy is uh, he told me that's what he was going to speak on. I said, that's great. Let's go for it. And it's amazing how well it will tie into today, which you'll see in just a little bit. Um, reminder, before we really dive in today, what we're going to really start today is a new series on the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is this long sermon in Matthew chapter 5, chapter 5 through 7. So it's two chapters. It's all red print. It's just Jesus speaking for two long chapters. It's the longest section of scripture that we have of just Jesus teaching. And we decided, let's really dive into that. And it's fitting because we had just done Matthew chapter one through four. And so I want to remind us, kind of refresh your course of what has happened in the time before the Sermon on the Mount. Because we're going to be diving into the Sermon on the Mount, let's be reminded of what has happened. And I don't know if you're like me, but with the holidays and all the food I ate and all that stuff and the, the head colds and all that. Everybody, any guy got the head cold thing going recently? Like, it's just hard to really tie it all together. And so what we're going to do for the first little bit is reminder of chapter 1 to 4 of Matthew. Then we'll dive into Sermon on the Mount. So in Matthew chapter 1 through 4, um, what we see is that Jesus is born to this imperfect family. And if you really dive into that family, his family's messed up. It's kind of like our families, right? But Jesus comes to save his family. And then Jesus is born to a virgin, and he's born as God's son. He's born as God in the flesh. And then he um, is predicted, he's prophesied to be the king of the Jews. He's baptized by John the Baptist. And when he comes out of the water, there's a voice from heaven that says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then he's tempted, and he stands where others fall short. He comes as the one who's the light into the darkness. And then he calls people to follow him. And he shows up, and he meets Peter and Andrew and James and John. He says, follow me. And these four fishermen leave everything to follow Jesus. And it's at that point in Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus is going through, he's teaching, he's proclaiming, and he's healing people, and these huge crowds begin to follow Jesus, huge crowds. And so it's at that point in time that Jesus walks to a mountain, and he goes up a mountain, and he sits down, and he begins to teach. And again, that's when he gives the Sermon on the Mount. The first part of the Sermon on the Mount is often called the Beatitudes, and he gives this long teaching. And that's what we're going to camp out at, on for a while here at the greenhouse. And so for today, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to really look at Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 through 12, but we're going to kind of do a mile high view over the top of it. We're going to do that to prepare ourselves for then going back in and taking it much slower, looking at each particular one. But for right now, today, mile high view. And the mile high view, I want us to do four things. One, I want us to talk about what was the culture like when Jesus is giving this address when he's giving this sermon. Second, who is it that he's speaking to? What does he say? And then four, what did he mean by what is said? So that's what we're doing. Um, that's where we're headed. But before we do, um, I just want to go before the Lord in prayer again. 
Father God, Lord, you know my heart that um, this is not easy stuff. Um, you know that my heart can so easily run after the things of the world rather than the things of you. So God, I pray that I in no way, shape, or form stand up here as someone who has it all together, but that I join and that all of us join each other, that we don't have this together and we are in need of you. So God, we pray that you'd prepare our hearts, pray that you'd open up our eyes to see the things that you'd have us to see. We pray that you would teach us, that you'd rebuke us, that you'd correct us, and that you'd train us to be righteous, that you would equip us to live our faith out. And God, if there are people here who don't know you, I pray that today that they would get a better picture, a better glimpse of who you are and what you are like. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I was really thinking through us diving into Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, I really thought about, like, I think we really need to understand the culture of the time. And as I was thinking through, like, how do you present this? I started just thinking over scripture. And I think that this was a culture that really thought that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. Like, they were convinced of it. And the reason why I think that is, I'm going to go through two. There's lots more, but I'll go through two. The first one is in Job chapter 4, which would have been written a long time before this. But in Job chapter 4, remember what happens with Job? He kind of wakes up one day. Things are great in his life, but then his ox, all of his ox die. And then all of his sheep die, and all of his camels die, and then all of his sons and daughters die. And then he gets sores all over his entire body. And then his friend quote-unquote friend, comes to him, and in Job chapter 4, verse 7, his friend says to him, remember, who that is innocent ever perished, or were the upright cut off? And really what his friend is saying is, Job, there's got to be something going on in your life that you're not confessing to. You, You must be doing something wrong, because these bad things wouldn't happen in your life unless you have been bad. And I think that there's the, that thought process runs through people, and it ran through the people in this day. Another one is in, Job, in John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, if you remember, there's this guy who's blind, and Jesus is going to heal him toward the middle of the chapter, but this guy's blind, and Jesus' disciples say to him, hey, Jesus, is this guy blind because he sinned or because his parents sinned? But it's, again, this mindset of if you're good, then good, you'll have good circumstances. If you're bad, you'll have bad circumstances. And the only reason why this guy is blind is because he must have done something wrong or his parents must have done something wrong. And so I think that there's this, this prevalent thought in this time that good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. And so if your circumstances are bad, you must have been bad. If your circumstances are good, you must have been good. And I think that's really what is going on in this time. And so I think what, what, what begins to happen when you believe that is you start thinking, Um, if my circumstances are good, that means God's blessing me. It means that he owes me. It means I've earned it because I've been good. And so then it starts to make you think, God approves of me. God is happy with me. That's why my circumstances are so good. And the, the opposite is true. If your circumstances are bad, then you begin to think that God must be cursing me. You can begin to start thinking things like, well, he is giving me this because of the things that I have done. You can get to a point to think God must disapprove of me. He must be mad at me. And I think that this is where this culture is. Good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. And they treat it as if it's a law. And it's not, right? I mean, I think we can all look through life and realize that sometimes bad stuff happens to good people and sometimes good stuff happens to bad people. And it's there's, there's pieces of this that are kind of true, right? Like if you, if you do good things, it's a better chance good things will happen, but it's not always, right? That's why that jerk at work got promoted over you, you know what I mean? That's why um, you meet some people who are just awesome people and you find out that they've gotten sick. 
Like good things don't always happen to good people. Bad things don't always happen to bad people. But they, in this culture, I think, bought into that as a truth. And I think that we can understand that because I think we do the same thing. I think we really, whether it's subconsciously or overtly, we can begin to think the same thing. That if I just do the right things, then God's going to bless me. And if I don't do the right things, then God's going to curse me. But I don't think that that's true. And again, I think it can be subconscious. But I think it's something that is there then. I think it's there in us as well. And I think a second thing that kind of happens when you begin to believe that truth, um, or excuse me, you, you believe that lie that good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people, then what can slowly creep in is if you are in favorable circumstances, if your life is going well, then you can begin to look down on other people. And you can begin to think, well, if they just worked harder, if they just did this, if they just did that, and what can naturally start to come in is this feeling that I deserve this. God owes it to me. Um, God's rewarding me. God is happy with me. God loves me. God loves me more than he loves you. That's why my circumstances are good. And it can also, again, the opposite. When you're in unfavorable circumstances, what you begin to think is, again, I must deserve this. God must be punishing me. God must be mad at me. God must not love me. Because why would God make me go through this if he loved me? We begin to believe that lie. And when we, we believe this lie, I think it can breed in an elitism. That's where I think racism can often come from, sexism, where pride, where nationalism comes in. We get to this point where we think we are better than other people. And I think that's exactly where this culture is. And again, I think we can relate to it because I think that if we're honest, even if it's subconsciously, we believe this too. In fact, I would say that I think every culture since Adam and Eve feels this way. And the reason why I say that is when Adam and Eve, when they sin, what do they do immediately after them sinning, after them disobeying God? They go and hide. Why do they hide? I did something bad. God is probably going to punish me. And again, I don't think that it's this life of karma where you do good things, good things happen, you do bad things, bad thing happens. But I think that's where this culture was. So I think that that's part, part one of where this culture is. The second thing I think this culture, when Jesus is getting ready to give the Sermon on the Mount, is it's a culture that values certain things. They value power. They value comfort. They value success. And they value recognition. And the reason why I say that is I think you can dive in, you can look, and you can see how Jesus addresses how people had this desire for the highest seats. You can see Jesus confront people about how they do things to be seen. They care more about the outside of the cup than the inside of the cup. You can see Jesus, um, the Pharisees couldn't believe that Jesus would hang out with those people, those tax collectors and sinners, because they were about power. They were about recognition. They were about success. And those people didn't have that. Those people are down here. They viewed it like a class system. That's why the woman at the well, when Jesus goes to her, she says, why are you a Jewish man talking to me, a Samaritan woman? Because they had these classes, they had this system, they valued power and control and comfort and recognition and success. That's why the disciples even fight over who is the best among the disciples. Remember that? Which one of us is the best, Lord? Which one of us is the greatest? And that's when Jesus says, well, the one who is the least is the greatest. And What about when um, James and John go to Jesus and they're like, hey, Jesus, which one of us, can we sit on the left and right of you when you get to your throne? Because we're about power or about recognition. That's why they wanted the highest seats. And so this culture is one that values power, they value comfort, they value success, they value recognition. So they care about titles, 
They care about positions, about status, about the highest seats. They, want, they care about higher income levels. If you make more money, you're automatically better. That's the way that this culture would have thought. They would have cared a lot about their image, their brand, their reputation, their legacy. And that, again, that shouldn't come as a shocker for us because I think our culture is the same way. Um, I don't know if you've heard this. I love Michael Jordan, um, probably because I grew up when he was unbelievably amazing and uh, still better than every basketball player that's ever played. But that's a totally different sermon. We'll do that next week. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, he was fantastic. But there's this 10-part documentary, documentary series that's going to come out on Michael Jordan in the, in the summer. And so I was trying to prepare myself for it. So I watched a really old, low-quality documentary from years ago to get myself prepared for it. And, I, and I, again, I loved it. But Michael Jordan said something, and I wish I would have written it down, but I, I wasn't even thinking about this when I was watching it. But he said something like, I knew that I had to win because no one remembers losers. But I think that that's so much how we really feel, if we're honest. And I think that's where this culture was. Um, kind of a totally different realm. The movie Talladega Nights, anybody seen this horribly stupid but hilarious movie? What does Ricky Bobby's dad say? If you ain't first, you're last, right? It doesn't even make any sense. But there's this thought process that is true. If you don't win, then you're not good. And so this culture was, if you're good, good things will happen. If you're bad, bad things will happen. But they're also all about um, power and comfort and success and recognition. Again, I think that this culture was a whole lot like our culture. So that's the culture in which Jesus goes to when he's getting ready to give the Sermon on the Mount. And so part one, what's that culture like? We said it. Part two, what, um, who was he speaking to? Is that Duke still? <laughs> um, so what was the culture like? Two, what, who was Jesus speaking to? So he, we look in Matthew chapter 4, and in Matthew chapter 4, verse 24 and 25, it says this. So his, talking about Jesus, fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick and those afflicted in various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons and epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them, and great crowds followed him. So who is around Jesus, right? There's this huge crowd, but who is it? It's people that are sick. It's the sick, the diseased, people with chronic pain, people who are demonic, people who have epileptics, so people who are having seizures, people who are paralytics, they're being carried around on a mat because they can't walk. That's who's coming around Jesus, and Jesus heals them. And so, but who it's made up of, because of what the culture is like, it's outcasts. It's the, the rejects, the least of these. It's the low-class people. It's those who are on the fringe of society, the marginalized people. That's who's following Jesus. And Jesus heals many of them. But again, he's, he might have healed their physical circumstances. Like, I was paralyzed. I'm no longer paralyzed. But in that culture, if you would have been paralyzed, you would have thought so many things about you. So just because now you can walk doesn't mean that it's changed your mind. It can change your physical, but it hasn't necessarily changed your mind. And so even people who were, who were paralyzed that then were healed, they still were a people that probably thought, I must deserve this. God must be punishing me. God must not love me. And then, then Jesus heals them, and there has to be this thing of, well, wait a second. I grew up all my life thinking God was mad at me, but then now my circumstances are good. What's going on here? The second thing is, is it says in that Matthew chapter 4, verse 24 to 25, it says that all these people are coming, right? But it says, and those who brought them. 
So this huge crowd is made up of people who have been healed. It's made up of people who've brought the people. So it's the family and friends of those who have been healed. But it also says that their fame, that Jesus' fame had spread throughout. So I'm sure this crowd is made up of people who've been healed, people who have brought those people to be healed, but also people who just have heard about this Jesus and are trying to figure it out, right? So it's this massive crowd of people from all different types of situations, all different walks of life, but that's not who Jesus is speaking to. Jesus is not speaking to the whole crowd. He's speaking amongst the whole crowd, but he's talking to somebody specific. It would be like if I was here and if I said to one of you something specific, I'm talking among all of you, but to somebody in particular. And what Jesus is doing in this is he's not just talking to that large crowd. He's talking to somebody specific. It's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 and uh, 2. This is what it says. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Seeing the crowds... He, Jesus, went up to the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he taught them, saying, and then it goes on. So who Jesus is speaking to is his disciples. In this whole Sermon on the Mount, he's speaking specifically to his disciples. Now, it's among other people, but if we start to forget that, it totally changes how we view this. And now that word disciple does not just mean the 12. There's two different terms for, for disciples. One is very specific and one is very general. The specific would be like the 12 disciples. Well, the 12 disciples haven't even been named here. This is in Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 10 is when the, the, all 12 disciples will officially be called, officially have been named. And so this is before all 12 disciples have been named and Jesus is speaking to the disciples. It's a general term and it's a general term that means it's not just somebody who like listens and who tries to learn something. It's not just the people who are there every single week, sitting on a pew. That's not who he's just talking to. He's talking to those who are more than just a learner. It's people who have become attached to the teacher's teaching. He's talking to people that follow the teacher's doctrine. The people that have accepted it as truth and have put it into themselves as a way, or it's been put into them as a way that it's become the rule of conduct for their life. So when Jesus is giving this long address, he's talking to disciples. He's talking to those who are more than a pupil, more than a learner. And he opens up and he begins his mouth and he begins to say to them a lot of different things. But again, what's the culture like? The culture is all about if you do good, good things will happen. If you're bad, bad things will happen. It's a, it's a culture that's all about money. It's all about power. It's all about success. It's all about recognition. And it's among that crowd that Jesus is speaking to a large crowd, but specifically to his disciples. And what does Jesus say? Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 through 11 says this. Jesus um, starts off, and again, this is not the whole thing of what Jesus says. This is just the, like part 1A of like part 20. Um, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you 
and utter all kinds of evils against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In that, Jesus is, again, what is it that he's saying? He's saying something totally different than what they're used to. He's saying something totally upside down. He's saying, um, blessed are you when you're poor in spirit, when you mourn, when you are meek, when you hunger and thirst, when you're merciful, and he goes on and on and on. He said, that's when you are blessed. You're not blessed because you're rich. You're not blessed when you have power and when you have success and when everybody knows your name. That's not when you're actually blessed. When you're actually blessed is when you're poor in spirit, when you're meek and he goes through all of these things. But for us to really understand this, I think we really need to understand what that word blessed means. Blessed, I think when we first hear that, like blessed, like you got it, it's good, right? It's good when you are these things. Um, you can think, well, it's better. It's better to be poor in spirit than rich in spirit. We can read this and think, well, it's more favorable or happy, right? Like when we think of blessed, we think you're blessed, like, oh, you're happy. But I don't think that's really the heart of what that word blessed means. Like I don't think it really makes sense to say you're going to be really happy when you're sad. You're going to be really happy when life just has come unhinged and you're in mourning, that's not the case. He's, there's something more to this word blessed. What this word blessed it comes from a Greek word um, that I can't say, but probably is something like makero. I don't know. We'll go with it. Um, but it means that you're characterized by the qualities of God. When you display these things, you are characterized by the qualities of God. When you, when you display these things, you are possessing the qualities of God. It goes way beyond just like being well-spoken of. It's not like, well, blessed are you when, oh, you're really well-spoken of when you do these things. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that you possess the qualities of God. And there's another part of that uh, word blessed. It means that you are satisfied in God and not in your circumstances. It's like the word fortunate. You're fortunate when these are your circumstances rather than when they're not. But... Jesus says this, right? And we understand, like we can read it, we can see that he says this, but what does he really mean? Um, what he really means is, if you are poor in spirit, you are displaying the very thing that God himself is. If you are meek, you are displaying the very thing that God is. When, if you mourn, you are like God when you are doing that. You are like God when you are a peacemaker. But here's the thing that I've figured out in my life is, I can't do any of this. I can try. Like, I can try. I'm going to be a peacemaker from now on. And then somebody cuts me off and they get the bird. They don't really, but in my head they do. Most of the time. But I can't really do it. I don't know if you can. Like, you, you might be able to do it for a day or two. It's not saying, he's, he, remember, he's speaking to followers, to disciples, and he's saying these aren't just things that you should try hard. Like, this isn't a list of from now on you need to try to do these things. It goes much deeper than that. It's that you're possessing the qualities of God. The only way you can possess the qualities of God is if God is inside of you. So what he's saying is for you to be blessed means that you have the Spirit within you. What he's saying is to be blessed is you're a disciple. You are blessed, which means you've been taken into a totally different kingdom. 
And if you remember a little bit before this, Jesus had said, repent for the kingdom of God is, is at hand. The kingdom of God is near, is what John the Baptist said. What Jesus is saying in this is there are two totally different kingdoms. The kingdom of the world is all about power and comfort and success and recognition. But God's kingdom is about totally different things. Totally different things. It's going beyond just being happy, but it's saying that one can be satisfied in their circumstances no matter how good or how bad their circumstances are. This word blessed, it, um, it goes deep. It goes very deep. What it means is you don't have to be powerful because you know that your God is. That's when you are blessed. You are truly blessed when you don't have to be comfort because you under, comfortable because you understand that your true comfort comes from God. You're truly blessed when you don't have to have success because you know that God's no, love for you is not based on your earnings. You're truly blessed when you don't um, have to have success. It's also when you don't have to be recognized. You're blessed when you don't have to be recognized because you know that you are known by God. That's what it means to be truly blessed. You can be satisfied in God, even if you're weak. Even if you stumble and fall. Even if you have to sacrifice. Even if you're discomfort, in discomfort. Even if you're excluded. Jesus is saying, followers of mine, you are blessed when you are under a totally different set of standards. Totally different values because you're a part of a totally different kingdom. What he's talking about is true freedom. It's, he's talking about being in the world but not of the world. Now, there is this side of this. If you read through these, there's a part of it that ha is happening now, and there's a futuristic part. It's not one or the other. He says, um, blessed are for theirs is. In other words, he says theirs will be. So some of these things are happening already, and some of these things are yet to happen, and some of them are happening already and will happen even more later. For those of you who are really following the Lord and there have been discomfortable, or uh, that's a weird way to say it, uncomfortable, <laughs> discomfortable sounded way cooler, right? Um, when those things are going on in your life, you can be comfortable already to a degree. But what also brings comfort is the knowledge that one day I will be with the Lord. There will be no more crying, no more tears. So there's a now component, but there's a futuristic component. But what Jesus is saying is you're blessed um, not because of your circumstances, but you're blessed because of who your God is. But remember, he's talking to people who, some of those people had just been healed. So what he's telling these people is, listen, you are not blessed now because now you can walk. You're not blessed because your circumstances have changed. It's not like you were cursed and that's why you had seizures and now you don't have seizures because I healed you and so now you're blessed. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not giving any indication of the blessing being about your circumstances. He's giving the indication of the blessing being not because of your position that you can get, but who is inside you. He's not talking that you're blessed because of uh, your attaining of things, but you're blessed because you are my disciple. You're blessed not because you are controlled by the values of the world, but because you're not controlled by the values of this world. I was listening to this um, sermon. I usually try to figure out what I'm going to say, and then I'll listen to a couple other people just to make sure I'm not totally crazy and saying something way out there. 
And I was listening to this message by Tim Keller. And Tim Keller said, in essence, if you are constantly seeking after power or comfort or success or recognition in your life, it's because you're controlled by the kingdom of this world. That's why. So if you're constantly, you feel like you've got to be the best, you've got to do the best, you've got to look right and be right, and your kid's got to do everything perfect, good luck with that. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. <laughs> Just look, right? Um, but what's happening in this is that Tim Keller also says this. If you're constantly seeking after those things, it's because you're controlled by them. But if you cannot have them at all, it's because you're still just as controlled by them. So if you actually have to have power or you cannot at all have any power, it's because you're controlled by the old kingdom. But in the same way, if you have to have recognition or you absolutely cannot have recognition, either way, it's because you're still being controlled by this old system. And what Jesus is saying is you're blessed not because your circumstances are good, not because your circumstances are bad, but you are blessed when you don't, your circumstances don't matter because you're part of a totally different kingdom. You're truly blessed when it doesn't matter either way, when you are simply satisfied in him. And as I was thinking about this, I thought of three people. There's plenty more, but I thought of three people. I'll go through real fast. One is me. Just kidding, it's not me. One is Job. Job's circumstances are horrible. He loses everything. Does he curse God? Does he think, God must be mad at me? No, he gets to a point where he says, I wish I would have never been born. But he never changes his thought about who God is. He's content when the circumstances are good, when the circumstances are bad, and when the circumstances go back to good, he's still content. It makes me think of Stephen. Stephen in the Bible, if you remember this, he's, he's the first person who's killed for their faith in Christ. And as he's standing before these people, he's giving kind of a testimony about who Jesus is. And they get so mad that they begin to throw rocks at him. So imagine you're just standing there and rocks are ricocheting off of your face and your shoulders and your knees. And it says that he looks into the sky and he sees Jesus sitting to the right hand of God. And his face shines like that of an angel. How can you ever be content when rocks are being thrown at your face? It's only if you are blessed because you are part of a totally different kingdom where circumstances don't matter because you are content and you're satisfied in Christ. That's what Jesus is saying to these people. I also think of Paul. Paul, he has a lot. He's got a great name. He's a Benjaminite, which is a really big deal. And he's got all of these status things. And in Philippians, he says, I consider them all rubbish. doesn't matter. I don't care if I am this and this, and I got this title and this recognition and this trophy and this award. I don't care about that. But it also gets him to a situation where he's willing to be shipwrecked for days, out with no food, with no drink. And he's content and he's satisfied in the Lord. Truly being blessed, feeling blessed by the Lord is when your circumstances don't matter. What Jesus is saying here is that you're truly blessed when you can be satisfied in him and him alone. It doesn't matter if you're poor now because you know that you're rich with God. It doesn't matter if you mourn now because you know that that means God is coming close. It doesn't matter if you're meek now because you know that God is all-powerful. 
It doesn't matter if you're persecuted now or excluded now because you know you are included with Christ. Because you have been brought near to him. Jesus is saying you are truly blessed when you are fully satisfied in him. When your mindset is not, if I just have Jesus plus 2.5 kids, a white picket fence, a dog, a cat, depending upon what type of person you are. It's not what he's saying. He's saying you are Jesus plus nothing. Or Jesus minus everything else in this whole wide world. It's still good. Now, again, it doesn't mean that you won't mourn. It doesn't mean that you won't cry. It doesn't mean that you won't hurt. It doesn't mean that you might not even get to a point like Job where you say, I just wish that I was never born. But who God is, you are content in who God is. You are satisfied in him. You're not thinking, God, what? you owe me this. You're truly blessed when you don't think that God owes you something. When you are complete in him, when you're under a totally new set of values, when you're a disciple of his, when your earthly circumstances don't matter, you don't have to have, but if you have it, you can live with it. When you really dive into this, and as we will over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about being poor in spirit. We're going to talk about um, mourning, about the meek. We're going to talk about peacemakers. We're going to talk about all those things. But for today, this kind of mile-high view, this culture, ours too, if you're good, good things happen. If you're bad, bad things happen. But that's not totally true. It's a culture that values power and comfort, success, and recognition Jesus is speaking to this huge crowd, but he's specifically talking to his disciples when he says these things. And he says this blessed are eight, nine times. But what he means is this. For those who are under a new kingdom, you are blessed. Not because of what you've done, but because of what God has done for you. When you display the qualities of God, you are blessed. You can be fully satisfied in him. It's because you are blessed. And, and I was thinking about this, and Sarah and I were talking about some of this, and I started thinking, you know, the longer we're influenced by the old kingdom, the harder it is to shake loose of some of it. But also, depending upon how you were raised, depending upon your own heart and your own mind, how deeply you were under that old kingdom also dictates how hard it is to shake it sometimes. If you grew up in a home that you had to perform, you had to perform. It becomes so much harder to shake these things than if you were brought up in a home that these things don't matter. So I think all of us um, who are followers of Christ can look through these and can see that oftentimes what we really think of being blessed and what God has said when we're blessed are far different. What I think that... Um, what the, what's crazy to me, though, is that Jesus doesn't just say these things. He lives these things. It'd be one thing if Jesus would have come, he would have given this sermon on the mount, like, be really humble, and then he was really prideful. You know, be a peacemaker, and then he's out there, you know, just shooting everybody up. I mean, he flipped over some tables, but... When you think of Jesus, I, I think of someone who was the most persecuted, who had so much evil spoken of him despite deserving none of it, who was reviled, who was despised, who is rejected. When I look at Jesus, I see one who will mourn, who will experience such grief that he will sweat blood. 
When I look to Jesus, I see one who is more pure in heart than anyone has ever been, who does what he's supposed to do, when he's supposed to do, how he's supposed to do it, all to please the Father. When I look to Jesus, I see one who is merciful, one who shows mercy even to his enemies, the people who put him on the cross, and he's about to die, and what does he say? He says, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Jesus is not just telling us as his followers, this is what you're supposed to do. He is showing us how he did it. When I look to Jesus, I see one who is a peacemaker, who will die for the sins of all mankind to make a way for them to be at peace with God. Here's the thing, though. We can try as we want and try as we might to to live out these things. We can't. The only way that that happens is if we've been transplanted from one kingdom to another and if it's God living in us and us doing those things. And when we're not, it means we go to the Lord, we repent, we ask him to fill us with those things. I want to end um, with this. Uh, For those of us who are here who are followers of Christ, I want to kind of say something. For those maybe who aren't, I want to say something. So those of us who are in Christ we are blessed, again, not because of what we've done, but because of what he has done. But as I was thinking through different scriptures, some of these just, like, rang so true. And so if you're here and you are a follower of Christ, I want to read some of these verses over me and over you. Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. 2 Peter 1.3-4. through 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his very precious and great promises so that through them we may be be partakers of his divine nature having escaped the corruption of the world because of sinful desire. What about 1 John 2, 15 through 17? Do not love the world or the things that are in this world or that system of this world that's about power and control and recognition and success. Do not love that. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The desires of the world or the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride and possession, it's not from the Father but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. We're under a totally separate, totally different kingdom. Titus 2, 11 through 13. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and to renounce worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the glory of our great God and Lord Jesus Christ. For those of you who are here and you are disciples of Christ, this message is for you. It's that we are under a new system, a new law, a new way of life, under a new kingdom. That's why Jesus came. It's a kingdom that leads to life, that leads to blessing. It's from God. And for those of us who, who, who that's not where we're at, this is not something of just try harder to be pure in heart and you'll be a better person. Just try harder to mourn and you'll be a better person. What Jesus is saying is that he wants to do something. He wants to take people from this kingdom and put them over this, uh, under this kingdom. Um, let's pray. God, I um, 
thank you for what you've done. I thank you that I'm not blessed if I make a lot of money, but I'm blessed because I am rich in you. I thank you that I'm not blessed if everybody knows my name, but I'm blessed because you know my name. I thank you that I'm not blessed because people include me in what they're doing, but I'm blessed because you have included me in what you are doing. God, I pray that if there's anyone here who does not understand that, does not know that, that you would show them that. And God, for all of us that are followers of yours that, that really do, we believe this, but yet we, we tend to still operate under this old system. I pray that you'd forgive us, that you'd help us to see the error of that, that you'd help us to deny ourselves and to live for you. And so God, um, I pray for all of us that we would just really spend time thinking through what kingdom are we under? What kingdom is having the influence in us? God, I pray that we would truly understand that we are blessed, not because of our circumstances, but we are blessed because of you. We thank you, we praise you, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.